Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. this morning is from Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the the borrower is servant to the lender. This proverb is another truism. It's a fact of life about the way the world works. Wealth means power, and borrowing means service. Now first, I must make a a point here. This proverb is pointing out a truth, saying it is better to be rich than poor. But we know that there's more to it than that. The rich are not better than the poor, and the lender's not better than the borrower without clarification. Because context makes all the difference. There are good and bad rich, and there are good and bad poor, and there are good and bad borrowers and lenders. And other Proverbs teach us that the modifiers righteous and wicked are more weighty than rich and poor. Nevertheless, this proverb is true. All things being equal, it's better to be wealthy than to be poor. Because wealth is power and borrowing is slavery. So we learn that wise men seek to be free from debt and to accumulate wealth always with the proviso that they do it in the way of righteousness, by discipline, diligence, hard work, generosity, faith, and prayer. But it's the fool or the simpleton who doesn't make the connection that if he runs up his debts and maxes out his credit cards, then he will be living in subservience to the lender. And one more point of application. Matters of scale and politics don't change the truth of this principle. Being too big to fail is a temporary condition, and it's dependent upon everybody else accepting that. And moreover, just because our country has a lot of clout, we can't borrow or spend our way out of debt. Eventually, there will be a balancing of the accounts. And this isn't a prediction about how that will come to be, because there are good and there are bad ways that that can come come to be. Um, But God is writing this story, and we must read it with wisdom. And the wisdom that we learn right here is that God made the world that way. Eventually, there will be a balancing of the accounts. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please meet us pray. So today is uh, Reformation Sunday. You may have noticed at the top of your bulletins. And uh, in the spirit of Reformation, our text today goes back to the basics. The whole principle of Reformation is, is to reform, 
and and God reforms us when we come into his presence. And so in the Reformation, the Reformers called the church back to faithfulness. And the rallying cries of the five solas of the Reformation ring loud and clear in the Reformed world today. Sola fide, sola scriptura, sola gratia, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria. Those are a bunch of Latin words, and they mean by faith alone, by the scriptures alone, by grace alone, but in Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. Now, last week, we focused on Paul's testimony, and that's where our text is. We're in Paul's testimony before Festus and before Agrippa. And today, uh, we, to- we, we focused on the first part of his testimony, where he talked about who he was before the revelation of Christ, about his pride and arrogance and his Phariseeism um, and the, the legalism of that. And today, we're going to look at the rest of his, his testimony. And he started out... Um, like I just said, with his own pride and his self-righteous persecution of the church. And that's where our text picks up. Um, and we're going to see how he moved from his blindness there to new revelation. And that, salva- that salvation, the new revelation, Jesus Christ bore fruit in his life. The fruit of obedience and faith. So Paul starts... Uh, with his conversion, or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. While thus occupied, uh, while he was pursuing and persecuting the the Christians into foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctified by faith in me. And now we want to talk about the key to testimony. Revelation is the key to any testimony. It's the point of testimony to reveal the truth, to shed light on the truth. This is the gospel. This is the point of testimonies, to share the gospel applied. The gospel of a testimony. Jesus intervened in my life. Revelation is the point of every 
testimony. It has to be the center of it. And it has to be the center of your testimony. So in your life, when you share your life with other people, they ought to see Jesus as the center of your life. When you talk to people, he ought to be the focus of what you talk about. And it doesn't mean you always have to talk about you know, religious things. But as you talk about everything, Jesus has to illumine that. You have to shed light on truth. You have to be honest with the world that God made. You have to live the way that you live because you are a Christian. And that is your testimony. How you live is your testimony. And being willing to share it is your testimony. So share yourself. Sacrifice yourself so that you may share who Jesus is by being like him. So, if you cannot connect the dots to see God's hand in your life, if you don't understand your own testimony, then you need to work on that. Because that's not living by faith. Living by faith is seeing Jesus in your life. And you must do so. You should be able to see Jesus' hand in every part of your life. The reason you do things is because you believe that Jesus is Lord. And this is because of the principle of solus Christus, one of the five solos. In Christ alone are you saved. And that's what we see in our text here today. We see the revelation of Jesus as God. A light shines from heaven on Paul and stops him in his tracks. Jesus is God. And in this we see how Solus Christus works. In Christ alone and only Christ is the way to God. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. Solus Christus. And because this is true, we must have the revelation of Jesus Christ at the center of our testimony. It's only Christ that saves you. And it's only Christ that can save anyone. The other solo that we see here is sola gratia. It's the grace of God, so, by grace alone, that Paul is saved. You see that? Paul was actively persecuting Christ. He's he going against God. But God showed him grace. It wasn't something that Paul did that saved him. It was only God's grace. It intervened in Paul's life. And the forgiveness of sins that Jesus sends Paul to announce to the Jews and the Gentiles alike is to be received. He says, he says I send you to preach that to them um, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. It's a gift. It's grace. And the response, um, the response to the revelation in the testimony is what completes the testimony. So the, the title of these this last two weeks' sermons is an, an Anatomy of a Testimony. Well, last week we saw that the first part of a testimony is where you were beforehand. The second part is conversion. It's revelation. It's Jesus Christ. 
And the third part is the response. It's what that revelation has done to your life. It's the corresponding changes of life. It's the conversion of the man or the heart. Of, it's, it's what completes your testimony. It's the story of your life. And, and what we see in the completion of Paul's testimony is exactly that. Verses 19 and 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, because of this vision, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Paul's defense is basically, this is his defense too. Okay, testimony is one of those words. We have the Christian testimony where you share your story. But Paul's testimony is, is, is dual purpose here in that it's his defense. He's been brought up on charges. And he says that his defense is basically, I obeyed the vision. I did what Jesus said. He told me, I'm calling you to be a minister and to share the gospel. And I did it. I did did not disobey what he said. That's Paul's defense. He's like, I'm in submission to Jesus Christ. Because he believed what he had seen. Because he trusted Jesus' revelation. Because he believed the last words of Jesus' revelation. um, Those who are sanctified by faith in me. Because of faith, he obeyed. Sola fide. By faith alone are we saved. And this is a vital point. By faith alone are you saved. Now, you have to listen carefully here though. Because Paul says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's saying I believed it. He had faith. But what he's saying is that that faith had an effect on his life. Obedience is proof of faith in grace. Um, Now, here's your your proof text for sola fide. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is what Paul wrote from from prison while he was in Rome, which was shortly after this this episode. Um, In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes... um, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you guys probably have memorized this in the past. If you haven't, you should memorize it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by faith and by grace. That's our salvation. That was key to the Reformation. And the Reformation brought out this important truth in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church, who was teaching salvation based on works, by doing good things. Now, unfortunately, this has been misconstrued in contemporary teachings about grace in the evangelical church. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But we've twi- twisted it in the evangelical church to say that grace trumps obedience. Meaning, obedience isn't important. And that's not true. 
It is true that we must repent and believe, and the corresponding forgiveness is all a free gift. We don't earn our salvation. And it's also true that nobody can do it perfectly, and we must believe that Jesus forgives our sins. But obedience is not optional in the Christian life. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, the very next verse after the the sola fide uh, proof text, the very next verse, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And our text today bears this out. Paul claims, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Moreover, he declares that his obedience was to teach men three things. To repent, to turn to God, and to do works befitting repentance. To be obedient to Jesus Christ. This is not something that's hidden in the corners. It's, 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 it's the, the very next thing that always comes after faith and repentance. Or repentance and faith. The very next thing that always comes is belief and obedience. Obedience. Um, that doesn't make the obedience meritorious. Obedience doesn't save you. Obedience does not save you, but obedience is proof that you're saved. And this is entirely consistent with biblical teaching on sola fide. In other words, the message of the gospel is believe, fide, and then get busy. Live like you believe. If you believe, live like it. Faith And repentance result in action. And if they don't, then you're not doing it right. If you can't see the works of the Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're not doing it right. And of course, godly and faithful witnessing brings persecution. Because as soon as Paul's done saying what he did and what he's he's been doing as, as being obedient to Jesus Christ, the very next verse, verse 21, we read, For these reasons, my obedience, for these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Because Paul obeyed Jesus, because Paul obeyed the living God, He was persecuted by the Jews. That is the reason why he's standing in front of this court. And here's another vital point, an important point. The enemies of Jesus are not offended by personal faith. Let me me say that again. The enemies of Jesus are not offended by personal faith. The Jews would not have been offended by Paul if he hadn't changed the way he obeyed, or the way he lived, the things that he did. If he just kept doing the things he was doing, which would have been impossible, because he really believed. But if he had just kept doing those things, just bottled it all up, 
Well, I believe in my heart. That would not have offended the Jews. The enemies of Jesus are not offended by personal faith. As long as you close the book and you leave it on your nightstand, as long as Jesus stays between the covers of the book, or he's in your mental prayers, or he's in your private place, or in your personal devotion time, if that's the only place you allow Jesus out of the box, you're not a threat. The problem comes when you start to do stuff in his name. When you start to live in obedience. When you start to actually think that what he says matters in what you do and how you behave and what you expect others to do and how you expect others to behave. When you start to obey is when the problem arises. When you pray out loud in Jesus' name in public, that's when people start getting uncomfortable. When you establish godly entertainment standards in your home, that's when you'll start offending your friends. When you tell somebody that what Jesus thinks about our society's desire for homosexual marriage or for killing babies, or their desire to shut God out of the schools. If you open your mouth, that's when the rub comes. That's when you get flack. That's when people don't like it. That's when you get persecution. Obedience is light, and the darkness doesn't like it. And much of the flack comes from within the compromised corners of the organized church. A lot of the, the, the loudest squawks you hear is people that have tried to change Jesus into something that he is not. Because they want Jesus to be friendly to the world so that they can get the world to come to Jesus on the world's terms. And so they've said, well, Jesus loves you irregardless of how you obey or how you behave. Jesus just, he's just, he's all mushy-gooey, and he loves you. He's all love. And you can live however you want. Just come to church. And they've compromised so far that the church is in, has become worldly. And then when they hear another corner of the church start to say the truth, that Jesus cares about what you do and how you do it, they get offended. Because it draws out their lies and hypocrisy. And that's exactly what happened to ignite the Reformation. Reformers, godly, faithful, Christian men, believing the Bible and believing that it had impact in the real world, started saying something about it. Martin Luther started to say that what Jesus said in the Bible. And he's brought up on charges, much like Paul. Much like Paul. He was brought up on charges by the religious establishment. But Scripture gives us an example about how to move forward. Right here in our text, verses 22 and 23. And how we move forward is in faith and with more witnessing. Just be like Jesus. 
Let the persecution happen. I'm going to stand for the truth. Verses 22 and 23. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That's what that's Paul's witness. And his obedience and his witness go hand in hand. Obedience and witness go hand in hand. Martin Luther says, Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. When he's commanded to recant of his writings, when he the things that he'd said that Jesus said, the things that he believed, the Bible taught. He was commanded to recant of those things. And he said, I can't. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to witness that what I did and what I'm saying is true. So he's being obedient and he's witnessing. And here we also see our sola scriptura. Paul says to, to Festus and to, to Agrippa, he says, I'm witnessing to both small and great, saying, No other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. It's the scriptures that teach these things. And this is a glorious Reformation principle. Because gloriously, the scriptures say this about themselves. First, Second Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hey, are you with me? Faith and obedience go hand in hand. The scriptures tell us what to believe, and the scriptures tell us that they're telling us what to believe so that we can do what they say. Equipped for every good work. Scriptures confirm witness. They have prophecies about the Christ. The New Testament declares the truth of what Jesus has done in black and white. Straightforward logic. And the scriptures declare and confirm obedience. Because Jesus has done what he has done, we must live in a certain way. Now, of course, this witness brings about a reaction. And the way people respond to testimony is in the hand of God. Christians are called to give their testimony. We're called to know where we were, we're called to know how Jesus intervened, and we're called to know how to live afterward. And then to tell the world about Jesus. That's what we're called to do, to be witnesses. Give our testimony. But the reaction to our testimony is in God's hand. Sometimes, like when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, sometimes God says, bam, 3,000 men were saved. Bam, and the number of the men rose to be about 5,000. Sometimes 
like we're going to see here in a second, Festus says, you're crazy, Paul. And Agrippa says, I'm almost persuaded. Let's read the next, the, the reactions of Festus and Agrippa, verses 24 to 28. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing has not, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul has made his arguments. His witness is, as he claims, the words of truth and reason. He's not a crazy man. He knows what he knows. He's seen what he's seen, and he's lived what he's lived. But Festus is incredulous. He can't, he can't accept this. A Jewish God shines a light out of heaven on Paul. I mean, this, is, this is just... Festus was a Roman. This would have been foreign to him. He didn't know the scriptures. Agrippa, on the other hand, is disturbed. So, I, I'm almost persuaded. He, he's, he's wrestling. He's, he's wrestling with this. But for Paul, all he's had to do is to be faithful, and that was enough. He's adequately explained to this tribunal his own position. He's given his defense. In fact, he is in the same position that Peter and John were at the beginning of the book. Remember Peter and John before the Sanhedrin? It's like, uh, the, the Sanhedrin accused them. He's like, by, by, in what name are you doing this? They said, in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and they asked, why are you charging us? Is it for healing this, this lame man? And they can't deny that a great work has been done. But when the Jews condemn Peter and John, well, they don't condemn them, but they command Peter and John never to teach in this name. This is the question that they bring. Like, do we obey God or man? Which is more important? Do we violate our consciences? Martin Luther said, uh, to violate conscience is, is neither right nor safe. That's what he said just before he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Do we obey? Paul is basically saying to, to these judges, do I obey the Jews who are bringing charges against me? Or do I obey God, who I've told you what God told me? That's, that's my choice. And given uh, his vision and the corresponding uh, 28 years of ministry resulting in this testimony, the answer is a no-brainer. There's no question, do I answer the Jews or God? Do, do, do I obey the Jews or God? What? Are you kidding me? Paul's got 28 years of living this out, sharing the gospel, being beaten, stoned, dragged around, accused, falsely accused, arrested, put in chains. 
seeing the gospel take root and churches grow. And miracles. Miracles. Remember that his sweat rags were healing people in Ephesus. Because people believed. Yeah, you obey God, not the Jews. So it's a no-brainer. And Paul goes on to declare that it's a no-brainer. Verses 29 to 32. And Paul said, he's basically telling him straight up, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing, deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul's basically saying God is in control. And I obey God. And it's proof that I obey God because I would rather that you were like me than the way you are. God's in control. And we can yearn for and we can work toward the salvation of other men. In fact, obedience demands that we do that. That we pray for them and proclaim the gospel to them. And share the witness of Jesus Christ to all men. That's what we're called to do. If we're going to be obedient to the scriptures, we work hard for sharing the gospel. But in the light of soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, if we really trust his sovereignty and his control over all things, we rest in him. And it's necessary because we are all merely men. If we make it, if we take it on ourselves, we can't handle that burden, that weight. It crushes us. But if we give it to him, he strengthens us. He's God. And he's there for us. Our own salvation and the salvation of all the elect lies alone in his hands. And he is the beginning and the end of all glory, salvation, and honor. But thankfully, we can serve him in peace. And like Paul, even when he was in chains... We can know that we have what everybody needs. We can have pity on those who have it so much better than us by worldly standards. I mean, here's Paul in chains. He's been in chains for two years, standing before kings, men of luxury. Just these guys have it in by worldly standards. They've got a name. He says, "I wish you were like me, because you would be better off." He has the eyes of faith. We know that we have what the world needs because, because we're saved by the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ that all men should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. And because of the Reformation, we can really jump up and down on the fact that this all happens by grace alone, through faith alone. The scriptures being our only foundation revealing Christ alone, and to God be the glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray.
Sunday, and we heard about the five solas in our sermon. But I want to talk about another Latin phrase from the Reformation, and it is this. Ecclesia reformata et semper reformanda. And this phrase means the church reformed and always being reformed. And the principle is one we read of in Scripture. It is the fact that the bride of Christ is not perfect yet. She is not without spot or wrinkle, but she will be. In the end, she will be a pure and holy bride for our glorious and all-powerful Lord, Jesus Christ. He washes her in his blood and takes away her filthiness. As we come to Christ alone for salvation, and we are steeped in his word, the scriptures alone, by God's grace, we are purified and fortified and prepared to do his works by faith alone in this blessed meal. The foretaste of that great marriage feast to come. And all of this for God's glory alone. Amen. This table is for all baptized believers under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating bread and drinking wine with us, you confess that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.